Well, hello there, fight fans. It's tax day. Well, tax extension day, anyway. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Monday Morning Analyst. Been gone for a few weeks. There was uh, there was some MMA that was important, but there was just wasn't a lot to really get to. And, uh, you know, I do a thousand things a week anyway, so put the Monday Morning Analyst a little bit on hiatus. But it's back today. It'll be back next week. It'll be back for a little while, actually. So um, happy to be back. Glad you're here. Really appreciate you watching. Thank you so much. If you can sort things off in a positive direction, I'd appreciate that. Give this video a thumbs up. That'd be really cool of you. Um, today, we'll get to UFC on Fox 19. Now, I know there was some great stuff. Shoutouts to RFA over the weekend. Um, their main card was amazing. But uh, we'll focus just on a couple things here on UFC Fight Night. Excuse me, UFC on Fox 19, even though there was a Bellator event, too. Not a whole lot to get to that Bellator event. Um, okay. So, without further ado, this podcast goes into three parts. We have the sort of open and uh, introduction overview. We'll look at some things on film and specifics, and then we get to what's in the week ahead. Let's go ahead and get to part one here. Uh, and again, not really going to focus on the Bellator War 52. There was not really a whole lot to get to, and I'm not going to really focus on RFA, but shouts to uh, both organizations, uh, I guess. All right. Uh, UFC on Fox, Teixeira versus Evans, UFC on Fox 19. This took place at the Amelie Arena. In Tampa, Florida, the attendance, 11,273 uh, for a gate of $1,057,000. Not bad. As you can see, those Fox cards are usually best bet for fans if you're trying to get the most bang for the for the most buck. They don't cost that much to go to these, relatively speaking. Um, and nevertheless, um, uh, you know, they put them in good venues, and they usually have pretty good fighters. This card got decimated by injuries, as we well know, and a few other things, but uh, neither here nor there. All right, so we kick things off on the fight pass portion of the card. Uh, actually, excuse me, we'll start at the top of the card as we usually do. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to save some of this for the second portion, but okay. A little rusty, haven't done this in a while. Glover Teixeira in the main event defeated Rashad Evans at 148 of the first round uh, via KO. We'll look at some of this on film, but suffice to say, this was I wrote this on Twitter, really depressing KO. Like, you know that Teixeira can really punch. That's not a surprise, and of course, you to take that into consideration, but... It just feels like Evans hasn't gotten back on his feet in a while. He didn't look good against Bader. He certainly didn't look good here. Even his win against Dan Henderson was not all that great. He did beat an overmatched Chael Sonnen, but I don't know. He just hasn't quite had it for a while. Plus, he had that layoff. So, I don't really know what's next for him. Um, but retirement seems like certainly at least uh, much more than a remote possibility. Again, we'll look at some of this in the second frame. Um, and also, by the way, Teixeira versus Anthony Johnson, if they make that fight. I mean, who doesn't love that fight? I would favor Anthony Johnson, but um, you certainly couldn't count on Glover in that one. All right, in the co-main event, given what happened to the rest of the card, Rose Namajunas defeated Tisha Torres via unanimous decision 29-28 across the board. A little bit debatable. I think if you had Tisha Torres 29-28, that would be fine. It's certainly not a robbery for Namajunas. I think either way, it evidenced the growth that we had talked about with Namajunas, right? Um, first time she went against... Tisha Torres didn't really have a whole lot for her. This time had more than enough. Although I have to say, Tisha Torres did a lot better than I thought she was going to do. Um, she was able to work in boxing range much more often. Obviously, her kicks and her side kicks and some of her other ones have been uh, a staple of her game. But uh, I thought that Dominus would have much more success um, in the boxing range. And she did have a great jab. Um, but it wasn't a whole lot much more than that, although the right hand found a home a couple of times. Um it looked like what the difference was was the level on the ground. Torres, once you get on the ground, she's good at like recapturing guard, but not all that great at standing up. Doesn't really have much offense off of her back, like in terms of you know uh, sweeps or submissions. So 
Uh, I will say I, I was surprised that she went down as easy as she did, but once she got there, you could tell that was a really big difference maker for uh, Rose Namajunas. Very again, close fight, tough fight. You know, I don't really think Namajunas is ready for Jacek or Gadelia. It's which is a shame because she's right at the top of the division, but um, you know, she's just in a weird spot where she's good enough to beat everyone below them, and I'm not sure she's going to beat the one above them. But she's only what 22, 23, so we'll see what happens with her. Great, great performance by both ladies, though it should be said. Um, Habib Nurmagomedov gets back to action. This was a catchweight fight, not 155-160, because Horcher uh, was coming in on late notice. He defeated Daryl Horcher at 338 of the second round. Again, we'll take a look at some of this on film, but suffice to say, um, you know, not not a whole lot of a test for Nurmagomedov, which is fine. It was a tune-up fight. Some people saying, well, he didn't look all that good in this. I'm like, you're not supposed to. I mean, you're supposed to look good in the sense that your opponent was overmatched, but it's a tune-up fight for a reason, because you need tuning up. That means some of the, you know... If you think about a musician tuning up a guitar, they're going to play some off notes trying to find exactly the right key, right? So that's what this was. He, he didn't look bad in any capacity. He looked good, actually, through most of it. But he didn't look like this overwhelming dominant force that was just, you know, electric from beginning to end. It just looked like a clinical, precise um, overmatch, essentially. And, and, and that's fine. It, it's not supposed to be anything more than that. If you think that means he can't beat uh, Dos Anjos, fine. Or Ferguson, fine. But you should be very careful about being like, well, he didn't look good in this performance. Okay, uh, he's not really supposed to look all that demonic. It, it, it takes a while um, to get back on your feet. So I think this thing served its purpose. A um, couple things he did really well, we'll point to in the next segment. One thing actually didn't all that well, we'll point to the next segment as well. But overall, an important performance for him. A strong one in most respects. And... Um, some of the things that have made him vintage Habib were on display, and we'll talk about those in the next segment. And this one I thought was really interesting. Cub Swanson defeated Hakran Diaz 29-28, 29-28, 29-28. You know, I got on Twitter and I said, wow, I was so impressed with the improvements of Cub Swanson. And uh, some of my colleagues took issue with that, and I can't believe that. One of them was Jordan Breen, the other was uh, Josh Gross. And there were other ones too, actually. I think a lot of people disagree with that. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to get back on Fight Pass and then go back and rewatch the Holloway and Edgar fights and then say, oh, he has made no improvements. Because when I say that, everyone always responds with the same thing, which is, well, he's fighting Hakran Diaz, he's not fighting Frankie Edgar, and he's not fighting Max Holloway. That is not the point. It is for sure not the same challenge going up against Hakran Diaz. But first of all, he's a tough takedown artist, so that should not be overlooked. But more to the point, if you go back and you watch the Holloway fights and you watch the Edgar fights, yes, those guys are better at mixing in their strikes with their takedowns. That is not the point. The point is the way in which Cub strikes is much worse in those fights. He is much more uh, loose and wild and leaves his feet with these giant shots. I mean, Joe Rogan was talking about him telegraphing his punches in this fight. It's way worse in the other one. And in fact, that actually works against the argument that he hasn't improved. Because if you're ever going to leave your feet for a big punch and be much more reckless, you would want to do it against a guy who's not as good like Hacker and Diaz. Not guys who are way better like Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway. I strongly, strongly disagree he has not improved. He looked much cleanlier with his technique, much more patient with his shot selection. Now, what that does is it does limit some of the accustomed ferocity that you see from him. Okay, fine. Some of that was gone. It is fun. I fundamentally challenge anyone to watch those fights, watch the way in which he struck in these fights, and tell me this was not a cleaner, more precise patient version and it's not true that edgar was coming out with takedowns right from the start 
he had a choice, Cub Swanson, to strike like that in those fights. And he either didn't because he couldn't or didn't because he chose to. Whatever the cause is now, not the same guy and not the same guy, not merely because he was just going against Hocker and Diaz and everything just opened up for him. No, no, no. He made conscious decisions clearly to work on his game and implement them. And some of them appear to still be a work in progress. It is fundamentally not true that he has not improved. If what you were expecting was Big Strike Cub to come out, well, you didn't get that. What you got was much more patient, jabbing, head movement Cub, footwork Cub, placement Cub. Ultimately, that's much more sustainable for the long run. Uh, we move to the preliminary card, uh, at least on Fox Sports. No, excuse me, this was on Fox, Big Fox. Michael Chiesa defeating Benil Dariush, rear naked choke, 120 of the second round. We'll take a look at this one. Again, my big takeaway from this was that, um, two, Michael Chiesa's MMA grappling, we always knew to be good or very good. It's elite, no doubt about it. Um, but more than that, I think Benil Dariush, I, I'm not in his head. I can't speak for him. If I'm wrong, I'm happy to correct the record. It just felt like to me from looking at the tape, he just didn't take seriously the rear naked choke threat. And we'll expand on that with some footage in the second segment. Uh, Raquel Pennington defeated Betch Cahaya via split decision 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. Again, another fight that could have gone both ways. I think both ladies showed improvement. Raquel Pennington finding a little bit more success in the clinch, elbows over the top. Um, you know, couldn't quite make her punching range work. I didn't think was using enough uh, leg kicks to really mix in the offense enough, but... Uh, in the end, getting the job done. Man, how about the next guy? Wow. Santiago Ponzinibbio defeating Court McGee at 4.15 of the first round. This was an interesting fight. Because if you, I went back and watched it. Court McGee comes out and looks better at first. He's got decent head movement. He's the one pressuring Ponzinibbio backwards. He's catching him with the jab. He's catching him with the cross. Uh, and then slowly when Santiago Ponzinibbio figures out his timing and then figures out his own range, he just begins to light Court McGee on fire, and that right hand that closed the show, I went back and watched it again, I think I mentioned this on Twitter at the time, you can hear the hiss of uh, Ponzinibbio's feet scrape the ground as he cocks back the right, and get you know what I mean, like he moves his feet to plant and then uncorks the right, you can hear the hiss of his feet you know, as they brush across the top of the mat. That is a scary thing. And that right hand just came down the pipe. I mean, it was perfectly timed. Wow. What a shot that was. Unbelievable. And then credit to Santiago Ponzinibbio. Again, I've said before, never take for granted concussed fighters or fighters who've been KO'd showing up to a press conference to talk about how they lost. That's always very difficult. But never take for granted also someone like Ponzinibbio who is trying to speak in public in a language that is, you know, he's uh, proficient at, but clearly not fluent. And then he did it in Portuguese, he's obviously native Spanish, and then uh, English. Um, very, very impressive by him. Uh, Got to give a credit to this guy, and I, I had a hunch he was going to win. When I picked him, he was the uh, underdog, and then he wound up moving into the favorite. Michael Graves defeating Randy Brown, submission, rear naked choke, 231 of the second round, you know. Um, Graves is a guy who just did not make a necessarily big splash coming off the Ultimate Fighter. I have to say, if you look at his, if you look at his game, nothing stands out as like, oh my god, super impressive, oh my god, amazing. The fact of the matter is, he is much better than people give him credit for. He is very technical, very detail oriented. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. If he makes one, he doesn't repeat it. There's nothing like Nurmagomedov amazing about it, but there's nothing really super wrong about it. And that will take you very far if you fight patient and you fight smart, which he does. Very impressed by the growth 
and disciplined game plan that Michael Graves showed. You know, Randy uh, Brown had this hype from the Ultimate, uh, Ultimate Fighter looking for a fight. And he obviously strikes with a lot of fluidity. But that win over, uh, who was his name, Vicente Luque from the Ultimate Fighter, you know, he's a good fighter. And for Graves to beat him told me a lot. And Brown just didn't look all that awesome fending off takedowns in his UFC debut. I was thinking to myself, you know what, Graves is probably going to have his way with him. And sure enough, he got him down and just did basically whatever he wanted to once he got him down there. You know, Randy Brown had a few answers, but not nearly enough of them. Graves, keep your eye on that kid. I was very impressed by him. Uh, then you move down to the preliminary card on Fight Pass. John Dotson defeating Manville Gamborian at 37 seconds of the first round. That's just amazing. You know, what, what, what do you want to say? Um, John Dotson, one of the hardest sub-lightweight hitters in the game. One of the most accurate, one of the fastest hands. Once he once he cracks you, he has just superb finishing skills. Um, lots of like from John Dotson. And what a rejuvenation he is to Bantamweight. You know, Bantamweight's heating up again now that Cruz is back. And now John Dotson versus Dominic Cruz. That's very intriguing to me because John Dotson can thump. Uh, Cesar Fajera with a good performance against Oluwale Bengboshe. Uh, defeating him 29-28 on two judges scorecards. Then 29-27 on the third. You know, look. It was a better performance for him. He's now with MMA Masters. He avoided being finished in the first, which I think was great, but didn't do a whole lot with a hurt opponent. A tired, I should say hurt. A tired opponent in the second and third rounds. You know, enough to win the fight. But um, if this was a growth fight for Fajera, then okay, this was the first step. But he's got to build on that if he really wants to stick around at this level of the game. And then Elizu Zaleski dos Santos defeating Omari Akhmedov. Uh, at 3.03 of the third round, you know, had a tough early going, and then as Omari Akhmedov faded, which he just always does, um, you saw Dos Santos take over, really nice finishing in the clinch, um, and then a good measurement of his cross as well. Uh, okay, and by the way, uh, fight of the night was Zaleski Dos Santos versus Akhmedov, performance of the night, Glover Teixeira and Michael Chiesa. Okay, with that out of the way, let's take a look at some of the footage. Here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a little bit of Chiesa's back take and finish of Dariush. We're going to take a look at, not the whole fight of Nurmagomedov versus Horcher, there's really no point to that, but there was one takedown sequence in that, which just shows you why Nurmagomedov is so special. We'll take a look at that. We'll actually take a look at something Nurmagomedov did quote-unquote wrong. Again, I'm not in a position to critique him, but it's just something I've been noticing that he does over and over again, doesn't quite work for himself. So we're going to take a look at that, and then how Glover Teixeira closed the show on Rashad Evans. Part one done, part two coming up, here we go. All right, so let's take a look at a few things that happened in this card that I want to pay a little bit closer attention to. Now, look, I could go through the whole Nurmagomedov fight, and there's probably a few things you could look at that would be informative and helpful. Uh, but there was one takedown sequence, as you can see here in the second round, that I thought was just like vintage Habib. So one of the major claims I've made about him, and I feel like has really uh, the the the, the video really proves true is that nobody can switch between different styles of takedowns as seamlessly as Habib. If he goes for a single and it's stuffed, he'll go for a double. If he goes for a double and it's stuffed, then he'll just change to upper body trips, body locks, throws. In other words, he can go between like, you know, um, historically leg and hip attacks from wrestling to the upper body of judo uh, or sambo, you know, depending on which derivation it is. Um, but he can do so effortlessly and most people in fact virtually no one except Habib can do it like this it is it is just so fluid so you see here you see him just a uh, less than 20 seconds into the second round he shoots in on a single you can see he's kind of reaching for a, a double there um, but it doesn't really go that well so we move along to the next slide here 
There we are. And you see he tries to get a single. Uh, Horcher doesn't quite have a wizard yet. He would have to get it behind that arm. But you can see he's kind of pressing out. You can see it's a little bit shallow, right? you got to be well above the knee on a single for the most part to make it work. And Horcher's not a bad fighter. You know, he's overmatched here, obviously. But um, he actually gets – well, no, he doesn't get out of it. He delays the inevitable, which actually is – uh, something of a victory, actually. So we move on. You see him try to run the pipe here, Habib, but he's a little low. You got to get that shoulder up by the hip, right on the hip, you know, uh, for like a head outside single like that. You know, he's stepping through with it, but it's just not quite there. And you'll see actually Horcher gets a bit of a stiff arm here as uh, Habib tries to come back up when that doesn't work. So the first attempt, not all that successful, but again, it's not like judging Habib on whether his first takedown attempt in a chain of attempts works is like absolutely the wrong way to do it. So what does Habib do? He actually drives him into the fence here. He runs him back, sort of like a treetop here. Uh, it would have to be above the shoulder to be a treetop, but he hugs it high as he drives Horcher back into the fence. Horcher gets off like one or two decent punches here, but obviously didn't make much of a difference in the end. We move along now. So this is the interesting part here. I love this. He drops the single and then uses the momentum of Horcher's right leg returning to the mat for him to dive in on the hips. You understand that? So, like, Horcher's right foot is going to come back to the mat eventually. As it does, Habib is going to use that momentum coming down to slide up and in to get a double. Bing. See that? That's kind of cool. The video shows it better, obviously, but just something to keep in mind if you go back, if you record this on your DVR to watch for. So that's a pretty deep double there. He can get that, if I think, if he wants. He might be on his knees. It's hard to tell, but he doesn't quite get it because Horcher's actually, you know, look, he's a good fighter, right? So what does he do? He kind of gets that underhook under there. He's got a wizard on one side, I think. If not yet, he will have it in just a second. He's got that wizard kind of cross-facing underneath here. Now, Habib sort of has his hands clasped here. He could probably get it if he wants to, but it's a little loose. He just doesn't quite have the shoulder in on the hips. There's just, Horcher has done enough where he slid his base wide enough, and he's got an underhook enough to make that double kind of problematic. Maybe he could get it, but he'd have to work for it really hard. So he says, okay, forget that. Let's go for a single on Horcher's left leg. Let's rotate out, because why? Only a wizard here, underhook here. It's not going to be possible to get a double. It's definitely not going to be possible to get a single on that side, right? So forget it. Let's just go to the other side and see if we can get a single. The same one. I think, he, no, he attacked originally the right leg first, right? So now he's going for that left leg. So he goes to the left leg. Now Horcher has a wizard. Still got that underhook. He's trying to get behind him here uh, and... and basically trip him backwards or do something, but he wants to get behind him. You see Horcher is going to bring his leg up and try to block that hip. And you see Habib's going to try and step around it. I don't believe that's very successful, actually. Uh, he does get a little, actually, he does, sorry, he does get around it here. And you can see the wizard, where the wizard begins to go away. But this is what I want you to pay attention to. These are some of the, there's a bunch of details here going on that don't really all matter that so much for the point I'm about to make. It's this one. You see him kind of get behind. And this should load here. There we go. Okay. This is the one I really want to pay attention to. He tries to get behind and circle out. Let me go back here real quickly. So you see these? He's trying to circle around. He's trying to pull him in off balance. Remember, he's trying to he's trying to rotate him one way, then rotate him the next. You see that here? He's rotating him around, rotating him around, trying to push, pull. So you're trying to circle a guy. As soon as you, be, you get weight going a certain direction, then you go the opposite way. You blast him off of his feet, right? This is very common in wrestling. Depending on no matter what kind of wrestling you want to do, always guy goes one way, use it against him. This is very very common understanding of takedowns. But when he gets back to here, this is what I love. I 
I need to talk to him to verify it. Look at this gap here, right? I think that gap is intentional. I really do. I think that gap is intentional. This is the underhook side that has forced Habib to the other side since the beginning, right? Since they got against the fence anyway. Habib tried to take this guy down on this leg, shot for a double. This was the underhook that he had. So Habib went to the left side, right? And tried to trip and everything and didn't work. So watch what happens here. I think he leaves an opening here on purpose. I really do. Because Horcher drives it through, but it's a shallow underhook. It's kind of at the elbow, and his weight is getting pulled over. It's not like he's upright and bringing Habib up with him. That's the point of an underhook. You get an underhook not merely as a blocking mechanism, but as a blocking and pulling off of your legs, off of your hips mechanism. It has to, it, it, it has to do both to really be effective. Okay? I think Habib opens this space on purpose. And if you watch him, he doesn't, he never closes his elbow real tight. He kind of leaves the space here. Horcher sees it instinctively and says, I want the underhook there because I want this guy off of me. But it's actually sealing his own fate because what does Habib do? As soon as he does, as soon as he gets shallow right to the top of the forearm, Habib pinches it against his own body. See, look at the elbow in tight against his ribs. It's not out and pulling. Now, you don't want it flared out. You don't want your elbows all the way out. But, you know, you want to have it kind of centered, squared. This is not squared. He's going over, and you see him step around. Look at this. Whoa. And now look how far over he is. That underhook is basically worthless. He is chest to ribs here. Look at where his chest and sort of hips are facing. Hips are facing kind of out, chest to chest. And uh, the elbow here kind of pinned in tight. Horch is going to give up the wizard here in just a second, just like that. And you can guess what's about to happen here. Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> You're going for a ride, son. Look at that. Ass over tea kettle. Whoa. And a little detail here. You might not appreciate. This is Habib's hand here. So you'll notice when he comes over. See him body locked here? By the time he gets down to the bottom position, he lets his hands part so he doesn't crash on top of his connected hands. That can really hurt your own hands. Um, this is something that should be common among expert takedown guys like Habib. But if you ever see a guy who's like, you know, okay at them, he'll sometimes keep his hands together and that can mess up his own takedown. Uh, it doesn't quite seal it the way it needs to. I just mean it's effortless. So here's what I mean. Like, what is it? Well, let's, let's connect the dots here. Let's go back just a second, if we can, to where this all began. And I'll make this very quick. Goes for a single, tries to run the pipe. That's one takedown. Can't get it. Tries to. It's not really a treetop, but tries to run him back. High single here. There's different finishes here than there are. Uh, and you can see he's shallow on the knee. He needs to be above that. But dude, there are finishes from out here. You can do a trip if you can get in a little bit tighter. That's a second attempt. Comes in on the double. Third attempt. Doesn't work. Switches, switches off to the single. Fourth attempt. Uh, I can't even keep tra 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 track at this point. Three or four attempts. That doesn't work. So he goes from outside. Wants to get a trip. Body lock trip. You can see him turning him in the circle. Doesn't quite work. Gets behind him, but it's not exactly what he wants. Puts him back in. I think leaves this gap on purpose. Horcher thinks he's doing the right thing by driving an underhook. But what happens is he gets bent over. This gets pinched to his body as Habib steps over, around, drives his hips to face forward because that's the direction he's going to rotate. Steps down right in front of Horcher. And look at the strength of this. Brings him over and around. And, I mean, just, this is amazing. This is what I'm talking about. You can think you're doing all the right things. His understanding, and we'll just sort of the final thing, his understanding of the clinch game is phenomenal. 
switches from singles to doubles back to singles and then tricks you into thinking you're stuffing another single leg attempt when all you're doing is you're giving him the underhook he needs because when he pinches it to your body, let's go back and look at that slide one more time, when this gets pinched to your body like this, or even this is a better, better view of it, here i like this one the best when this gets pinched to your body you can't really use it anymore because you can't get the lift that you need you're getting bent over here anyway and moreover if it's pinched to your body you can't stop when you get turned over if this was free and he was just strictly on the rib cage here right just double underhooks traditional double underhooks i'm not saying you couldn't get the takedown but he would at least have torture wood this hand free to maybe cross face to maybe plant when they go to rotate not anymore now this whole side is blocked. Look, think about it this. Upper arm, blocked. Outside leg, blocked. Look, the whole right side of his body is blocked. Psh, this is phenomenal. You just don't see guys like this in the UFC. You don't see them. You see guys who can do this. You don't see guys who can do this and wrestle. You don't see guys who can do this and take the back. You don't see guys who can do this and hit low, you know, John Smith low singles. You, you just don't. There's no one like this who is so fluid with everything. Habib Nurmagomedov. I don't know what's next for him. We'll see. You know, everyone's like, well, he didn't look all that great. As we mentioned before, you're not supposed to in a tune-up fight. You're supposed to just get things going again. Um, but if he can get back to the form of old and keep doing stuff like this, there's no one who can stop him. The best fence wrestler in the UFC and the most dynamic wrestler in terms of changing between the universes of takedowns. You think you're doing something because it fits into one universe. That underhook makes sense in a wrestling context. But someone like Nurmagomedov, who's got all kinds of trips, body locks, doubles, singles, you name it, and can fluidly transition between all of them, your underhook is doing nothing but sealing your fate. So we're praising Nurmagomedov, and we should. He's an amazing talent. I, I mentioned before, you know, maybe the best fence wrestler in MMA, maybe the best wrestler in MMA for MMA contexts anyway, just the amount of stuff he can do with mat returns and takedowns and trips, and we've gone through it. Here's one thing I've noticed, though, that he doesn't, maybe a part of his game that's not all that awesome that I, I kind of see pretty consistently. Now, let me say something. You can do something unorthodox. Okay, and if it works, and if it works consistently, particularly if it works consistently at a high level, then it may be unorthodox, but there's nothing anyone can say to you. And so I'm in no position to critique him, but it's just something I noticed on video that I thought I would point out. Okay, I mean, Nurmagomedov is uh, one billion times the grappler that me and most of us watching this are. There's probably very few people who are going to watch this who can compete with Nurmagomedov in grappling in any kind of context whatsoever. However, it's just something I've seen. And no one's perfect, so I thought I'd point it out. So he gets the takedown here. This is, uh, you know, a little bit past midway for the first round. When it comes to back takes and mounts, I've noticed this. Now, he gets away with it a lot. Again, if it works, I'm not here to tell you you can't keep doing it. Uh, but in this case, it actually doesn't work. And it doesn't work because it's not supposed to work, in my judgment. So he gets down, and you can see he's kind of almost like, I think he's in uh, like a leg drag sort of position here. He wants to go for mount. So here's what he does. You can see he raises that back foot over, and he wants to, you know, bring it around. What most people will tell you is you don't want to take mount like you're getting on a horse. You don't want to do that. What you want to do a lot of times is this is why neon belly is effective, right? You want to slide over and then sort of windshield wiper your legs over the top when your knee has crossed all the way to the other side of the hip line. So imagine if you're imagine if now there's two kinds. I mean, there's many kinds of neon belly. There's one where you can do it like cross body, like your ankle here. If they take the left leg, you'd put your left ankle in their left hip, 
and you put the top of your left knee on the top of their right shoulder, like a you know like a sash, right to uh, right to left, left to right. Okay, that's one way you can do it. The other way you can do it is like a belt, right? So it's like ankle on hip, knee on the other side hip, straight across. And the other the other one's really pretty beneficial because once you get there, you can do what's called windshield wiper or flare your knee out. You don't want to like jump over and take it if, when you're on the other side. You almost bring your ankle out and around. It's hard to explain like this without proper video, but just take watch any video where someone goes from knee on belly to mountain, how they do it. Everything is nice and tight and slides across so there's no space, right? If there's no space, they can't do much about it. Nurmagomedov Gamano leaves a lot of space here when he goes. Watch, he brings, look how high he brings that up. Look at the amount of space between his leg and the mat. It's a lot of space. Horcher sees it. You see that? Horcher sees that. So what does he do? You can't quite tell from this one. I mean, look how high it is. Just trying to take. Now he's got the underhook, which is great. He's got nice and low base, which is great. You know, okay, all, all that's fine. But Horcher, look at that leg. He's going to bring that knee inside to block this hip like a half butterfly guard. Okay, one more slide. You can see it really well. Look at that. Look at Horcher's foot catch the leg of Nurmagomedov. Because then when he goes down, he's in half guard. He blocked it. Okay, so this is sort of my point. Like he wanted mount, he got half guard, and he eventually passes and goes out and around, and then actually goes for a back take where he does something interesting as well. Both mount and back takes. Again, if you have an unorthodox approach, I am not here to tell you you can't do it. I'm not in a position to say that. What I am going to say is, I think what most people will teach you, not because it's just ancient tradition, but because it makes sense, whenever you take mount, has to be nice and tight. Don't want to leave a lot of room. You leave a lot of room. Someone can move their legs inside to block it and catch it, which is exactly what happens here. Same thing with a back take. With a back take, you don't want to take it like you're mounting a horse. You want to seal the first. You want to seal the the, the side closest to you. If someone's in turtle. That's the uh, hook that goes first, and then the other one goes around, a la Michael Chiesa, which we'll look at in just a minute. You don't just sort of like jump on the back and then the on the, to the far side hook it first, which is kind of what Nurmagomedov does. But again. Um, if you can make it work, that's fine. In this particular case, Horcher catches it right there. See him catch it right there, and that's what causes this to not be a mount and to be a half guard. Again, he got overwhelmed because Nurmagomedov is a special, special talent. Just a small little thing we're nitpicking here. Um, again, in the long run, probably doesn't matter at all. Just something to note that uh, everyone has something to work on in their game, and as unbelievably talented as Nurmagomedov is, just a small thing that I noticed. Okay, let's keep going. All right, so let's look at the uh, fight between Kiesa and Dariush. Probably Kiesa's best win to date. You know, I mentioned during the Nurmagomedov uh, tape, one thing he does is he'll just, before he sinks this hook, he'll just jump around, or actually I should say jump over the back. Uh, he'll jump over the back and take it, which, again, if it works for you and you can make it work at an elite level, I'm not in a position to tell you it's bad. I'm just saying it's probably not what most coaches are going to teach you, certainly not in jiu-jitsu. But, of course, he's a Sambo guy, and he's an excellent one at that, and, again, he makes it work. Don't want to dwell too much on it. Just want to point out, by traditional jiu-jitsu standards, Michael Kies's back take here is phenomenal. He's going to slowly do like a semi-chair sit. He's going to sink that hook, and he's going to whip around the back. Now, the slides are not going to do it justice, but if you've got it on your DVR somewhere, go back and watch the speed with which he goes and takes this back. And the reason why this is important is for two reasons. One, that hook allows him to swing like this is a stripper pole. The left leg is a stripper pole, and, and Kiesa is the stripper, and he, he whips around it, okay? That's one reason why it's effective. The other reason is, you know, um, there, there's all kinds of reasons why you want to take that near hook side first. 
But okay, that's one of the reasons we're here. You'll see it on the tape. He just goes around with lightning speed. The other reason here is you'll see this right arm. What he's going to do is he's occupying this space here. Now, Dariush is not doing, which is, I can't believe I'm saying this because he is such a fantastic jiu-jitsu competitor. He, he's just not, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to speak for him. I haven't had a chance to talk to him. I don't know what he was thinking here. Here's what the tape looks like to me. It looks like to me that, yes, Michael Chiesa is awesome at MMA grappling. I think his MMA grappling is a lot better than his pure grappling, and his pure grappling is pretty great. His MMA grappling is super elite. It looks to me like Dariush, I'm not going to say he doesn't take it seriously, but he doesn't respect it at the level that he needs to. So you'll see him use this to occupy space, which will give him the leg to come around. He doesn't take a chance. You notice he's not holding up here and just you know letting Dariush you know, give the opportunity to bring his elbow back and close the space here. He holds it open because when he whips it around, here he comes. You can see it, it's super quick. Look, he's holding the, sp the, the space here so that when the leg comes around, now Dariush is not doing a lot to defend, but you can see his hands are still there when he's bringing the leg around. He's replacing something. Do you see that? He's not just, well, I, I see an open space. I'm going to just drive a limb over there. He's holding his hands there and then replacing it. This left hand doesn't leave, and the right hand doesn't come up until the leg takes it. And by the way, if you didn't notice how quick this is, Here he is in, you know, side control turtle, whatever you want to call it. It's not side control, but turtle, okay? Watch how quick he takes it. As soon as he begins to make the move, I mean, it's like less than a second to take the back if you look at the clock here. It's crazy. All right, so here we go. We move on. So here's when things are just going really weird, and I just don't understand. Now, Dariush is on a knee, so that's better. But Kiesa is uh, going for the rear naked choke. And one thing to note about this rear naked choke that I didn't pick up on the first time, um, Kiesa never switches sides with it. You notice a lot of times guys get someone's back and they'll try a rear naked choke from the right side. Doesn't work. Then they'll try from the left. That doesn't work. They go back to the right. Now, it's not surprising to me that he kept going to one side, right? Most people who have a rear naked choke, they've probably got it better on one side than the other. It, and it depends on what hand they are and how they've worked it. But, you know, your guillotines may not be as good from one side as the other. Your triangles may not be as good from one leg as the other. There's the, they always tell you and teach you to try to have as much balance side to side as possible. Realistically speaking, however, the body just sort of does things that it wants to do. Looks to me like the rear naked choke where he drives the right arm under and then seals it with the left, that's the siding he prefers because he doesn't really ever attempt a rear naked choke with the left hand. I picked up on that a little bit. So that to me is kind of interesting and, and, and that, that matters because he's telling Dariush, this is my favored side because he has full back. He could go either side here. So I mean that to say... One attempt was launched by Chiesa, and it fails, and he lets go. Then he launches another from the same side. Dariush already knew what side it was coming from, or at least had a pretty good idea. This is what I'm talking about when I say it's just, I don't know, man. A little surprising, right? A little surprising. So anyway, it keeps going. And you can see here that's a horrible place to be, but this is defensible. His nose is right on the top of the forearm, and you can see this is deep, but it's not all the way deep. This is a hand on top of the head, almost like where the you know the uh, the hair begins to grow out in the back of your head. So he could still, if he wanted to take this hand, strip it. He could still strip it. That's not going to be the case later. So let's keep watching. And by the way, not defending at all. 
It's just really weird. Really weird. Okay? So then he switches, and this is not really going to go anywhere. He's got two hands under it, and you see there's a lot of daylight here. He's chest to back here, but, you know, that's, there's just not enough. I'm sure it's tight and painful. Not enough to finish a guy. So he lets it go. And let this pull up. And you, know, you can see he chest to crank, but Dariush, it's, this is not enough to get Dariush. You have to really get him to get him. Okay? So then he lets it go, and he keeps the hand there. But he's, you know, he's controlling the, the left side wrist here because what he wants to do is be able to pull that out and seal it, right? So what does Dariush do? Something I just don't understand. I don't know why he didn't just sit here against the fence and fight this choke and reverse and stand. That was seemed to me the prudent way to go, and he didn't do that. So what does he do? He stands here. I don't get this at all. And uses the fence, by the way, to buoy himself, which is not correct. Uh, you can see that right arm of Kiesa is still kind of around. It's not, when I say around the neck, I don't mean around the throat, but his Kiesa's right bicep is probably right on that neck. So all he needs to do is just clear a lane to get everything, and he can make it work. And with two hands on the fence, kind of hard to hand fight when you got two hands on the fence, isn't it? So what does he do? Whoop! Whips it around. And he's got something like a gable grip here. And what is... Now, you can see it's a little bit deeper, too. This is not a great camera shot, I admit, but it's a lot deeper here. And what is he doing with his hand here? He's got a gable grip, and he looks like he's fighting the choking arm rather than the top side hand. Uh, maybe that's just because that's his first reach here. He hasn't quite got around to fighting it how he wants, but it's just a little it's just a little surprising, you know? And then, this is when it gets bad, but it's not all the way bad. Okay, now he's fighting the top side hand, so that's better, right? Because this is the, the, he's got left palm under, right palm on top. All right, that's better. Um, but it's getting a little bit tighter. He's trying to get it. Now, you can see the space between the nose and the forearm is going greater. But this is still not like, this is just not awesome defense. I don't know how else to say it. I like Benil Darius a lot. I think he would agree this is not sensational defense on, on his part. Okay, this the fight's over here. He hasn't tapped yet, but the fight's over here. Assuming that this choke is uh, tight or painful, painful enough to break your jaw, the fight's over. Why is the fight over? Because now the hand is behind the head. And if you watch the Misha Tate, um, Holly Holm, Monday Morning Analyst, you know what this means. The show is over, whether you know it or not. Now, this choke looks a little high because I can't see his bottom lip or his chin, but that doesn't mean he can't slip under, especially when you get one like this that's real tight and it's and it's and it's got the hand behind the head. A lot of times it can just fall and slip under the chin before you even have a chance to keep it tight. I mean, you have to be really disciplined if you're being choked here to get your chin to your chest. And if you're not, and like you can see, he's kind of straight up. Not straight up like ramrod straight, but straight enough to make it work. So what happens next? He taps. This is him about to tap. And you can see at that point, there's a bit of daylight here, but this hand is behind the head. Stripping it is going to be very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. Now, it's not quite as deep as Misha Tay had it on Holly Holm, which where it was like it was literally impossible to strip it. This may be possible, but if it's too late, it's too late. This was just a shocking performance for me. Not for two reasons. One, you know, we all knew Kiesa's MMA grappling was good. We should have meant that. It's very good. Very, very good. Because even for all the mistakes that Benil Dariush makes, you know, you look at that back take that Kiesa had, man. That is an expert back take. That is a 100% MMA black belt level back take, period. No doubt about it. The speed of it, the technique of it, everything. Everything about that is just phenomenal, okay? But here's the thing that really stands out to me, and we talked about this with the Sage Northcut tap on uh, with Brian Barberina. And I mentioned before, like, if a choke is tight, 
and this is not a goofy choke at all, but even if there was a goofy choke or a choke that's really low percentage for elite competitors and it's choking you, you have to respect it. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter if it's coming from a white belt, doesn't matter if it's coming from a black belt, doesn't matter if it's coming from a brown, blue, purple, whatever. You have to respect it. And it just looks like to me there was obvious ways to address this problem that Daru shook off because I don't think he thought Kiesa was capable of that. Now I don't know that. I can't declare that, and I'm not in a position to lecture Benil Dariush about mistakes he's making or things he's doing right. I'm just looking at the tape and I'm trying to figure out what went wrong here for Dariush. Because he knows how to get out of this stuff. He's been in a million rear naked chokes, even from really good guys like Michael Chiesa. Not saying Michael Chiesa couldn't do it on Dariush's best day. It's just weird that he had his hands on the mat and hands on the fence. And all he tried to do was push up at the elbow with two hands and keep his chin tucked. Dariush probably teaches better rear naked choke defense to people he's instructing. Uh, it, it, this doesn't seem to me like the full breadth of his abilities. But what it seems like more was that he just, I don't know, man, I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll be happy to correct it. You see this a lot, though. You see guys who are like really, really good jujitsu guys, even really good strikers. And they don't take seriously the other guy, or they don't take him seriously enough, right? And like, I can get out of this. I, I've been in a million rear naked chokes. This guy's not going to get me. I'm rear naked choke. Uh, proof. Maybe not, man. Maybe not. But what it does show is Michael Chiesa has a vicious rear naked choke. Um, he doesn't necessarily need to be all the way under the chin to get it. He's relentless with the pursuit. And if he gets on your back, bro, that's what you need to address. Benio Dariush or anybody else out there, man. If Michael Chiesa is on your back, fix that first. Don't try, don't try and do anything else because it will go from bad to worse in a hurry. Great Great job by Michael Chiesa in closing the show on a very decorated jiu-jitsu black belt. All right, and then we look at the main event. Um, you know, not a lot of footage to look at here. I wanted to include at least a little bit of striking, but there's not even much of that to really uh, get a hold of here. The, the thing to consider is, I think only a minute and 48 seconds is the whole thing, uh, the whole fight lasted. The thing to consider is this. What Teixeira basically you see him try to do on a, on a few early occasions and what ultimately closes the show for him is they're going to rotate this way. They're going to rotate to Rashad's left to Teixeira's right over and over and over again. And what you'll see him do is he tries to keep closing off this side as they rotate that way and he can't quite get it. A few times Evans just gets out. And then there's one time where uh, Teixeira misses, Evans gets to the uh, to the exit and then Teixeira greets him with a head kick. Now Evans blocks it of course, but it's you know both to let him know that he's thinking about that exit, maybe to catch him on a kick if he's not paying attention, but I also think just to find out where he is in terms of his distancing and what he needs to do because what he winds up doing is rather than just sort of being, you know, moving with him, right after that head kick gets blocked and he follows him again trying to cut off that right side, you see him rather than move this way and then rotate Watch his feet here. He, it's hard to tell from the, this, but he goes this way. He cuts a much more direct angle, and he does it like at a nice time so that Evans can't come out this way. Um, Evans is switching stances. You see him in his left hand stance, but he really kind of abandons that. So not a whole lot of slides to look at here. Let's just take a quick look and see what happens. But he gets a nice jab here. Pay attention to um, Evans's level. Look how low he is. I thought he was going to shoot for a double here. He almost could have done this jab's not that great, but there were a couple times he threw this jab and it actually landed quite nicely, and he had a nice low stance. Look at how low that stance is, right? Pretty low. Here again, he's at least bent over, right? Looking over that front leg. This is Holly Holmish, right? 
and how they bait the jab and then try to you know catch you with a counter or move out of the uh, of the exit. And again, what's what's Teixeira trying to do? He's trying to block this right side off. That's what he's that's what he wants to do, right? As Evans circles out past the cage, he wants to catch him right about here. So you see him. Look, check this out. Orthodox stance, orthodox stance, low, low. Whoop! Look at the back come right up straight. Not ramrod straight, but pretty close. And now Teixeira can seal off this right-hand side, or his right-hand side, I should say. Okay? So what does he do? And I'm sorry for the camera quality, but this is the best I can come up with for uh, footage. He tries to crack him with a right. Now, it looks like it lands here, but I think it just glanced. I don't think it really landed. Because what winds up happening is his back is now against the fence, and his feet are firmly planted. He actually gets off at an angle and tries to throw a counter like left, excuse me, a counter right hook off that side, or a counter right cross even, right? Uh, and it might have landed, but it, again, if it lands, it's only partial. But what winds up happening is, rather than throwing this, he can't throw this and then keep moving. I mean, he could, but he would be off balancing. Your natural instinct is to throw this and then right your posture, right? Well, he does. You see him, here's, here's him landing that. Maybe it lands a little bit, right? It lands a little bit. But here's what he does. Throws him at that angle, and then he comes up. This is the key. I wanted to show you a couple different angles of this, right? Um, he gets off his head off the center line. Head is way off the center line. But he doesn't keep moving that direction. He centers his posture. And when he does, that's that left hook of doom that comes in, and it just gets closer, and it cracks him, and he collapses. That's this, and then of course he hits him with a right hand for good measure on the way down. But that—I that, mean—the sh show was closed at that point, you know. But this is sort of what I'm talking about. He, it, it's not like in free space this would have mattered, right? Teixeira comes with the right. He gets off. This picture might be out of place, but whatever, forget it. This does the trick. You see him off of that. I mean, look how far off that angle is. The, the punch was not going to land. And maybe Rashad's would have, or at least did a little bit. But as he centers his posture by natural instinct, that fence brings him up so ramrod straight. Remember? Look how the fence just brings you straight up like that. So that's exactly what happens. There's really not much more to it than that. He doesn't, he doesn't punch and get out at an angle. He doesn't punch and then shoot, right? Maybe he could have. He punches and comes up. And as soon as he does, that left hook, bang. Catches him right there, and then the right hand on the way down, and that's really all there is about it. Um, I'm not sure what else to really. I mean, I'm sure. Look, uh, talk to a striking coach; they probably know a lot more nuances than I can. But it's a fairly straightforward affair. He got caught against the fence after getting the angle closed off, and I think he tried to right his posture after getting off at an angle rather than you know stepping and pivoting. But I guess you couldn't even pivot if your back's against the fence. So, good job by Teixeira in backing him up, and then finally closing off that right side angle and. You know, it's a tough, tough loss for uh, Rashad Evans. But, you know, shout out to Rashad Evans for showing up to that presser after he got KO'd. Um, that's a very, it's a, it's a thing only really veteran professional fighters do like that. Um, you know, I, I never take it for granted, and I appreciate it. So, tough loss. We'll see what happens next. All right, and last but not least, part three of the podcast. We'll take a look very quickly at what's coming up next. Two major fight cards. First on Friday night. The Bellator debut of Benson Henderson. He takes on Andre Koreshkov at Bellator 153. This will take place at the Mohegan Sun Arena. Of course, it'll air on Spike TV. Five fights on the main card, so that will probably start around, what, I guess 9 p.m. or so, something like that. Check your local listings. But um, So there's that, 
Okay, so Koreshkov versus Henderson in that main event. Patricio Freire taking on Henry Corrales. Brennan Ward versus Cyborg Santos. That should be fun. Uh, Michael Page taking on Jeremy Holloway. And then Brent Primus taking on Galera Stone Santos. Not sure who that is exactly. I haven't done a whole lot of homework on him. Uh, another one uh, about to note. The preliminary card on Spike is not really all that great, except for one fight to pay attention to. Uh, Chris Honeycutt taking on Matt Sikor. Chris Honeycutt, of course, is a top blue chip prospect who just lost. Really needs to get back on the horse. So there's that on Friday night. On Saturday night, you guys know what time it is. UFC 197. This will take place at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Main card, <clears throat> John Jones taking on Ovin St. Preux for the interim light heavyweight championship. Demetrius Johnson defends his flyweight title against Henry Cejudo. Anthony Pettis versus Edson Barboza. That's a screamer of a fight. Robert Whitaker versus Rafael Natal. Another good one. Yair Rodriguez returns against Andre Feely. That whole main card is fantastic. Sergio Pettis against Chris Culades. That's a tough fight for both Pettis brothers, I'm telling you. Danny Roberts for taking on Dominic Steele. Carla Esparza returns against Juliana Lima. Uh, Glyco Franza, remember him from the Ultimate Fighter, takes on James Vick. Walt Harris returns against Cody East. Marcos Rogerio de Lima versus Clint Hester. That should be a banger. And then Efrain Escudero versus Kevin Lee. So a lot of good fights on this card uh, as well. Um, two titles up for grabs. By the way, I will be in Las Vegas. I don't go to UFC shows all that often. Um, I will be in Las Vegas starting on what Wednesday night all the way to Sunday morning. So if you see me, come say hi. Don't be a stranger. I'll be there for Sirius XM, doing a lot of shows for them, but I'll be doing work for MMA Fighting as well. So come out to the workouts and everything else, and I'll see you guys there. Okay, that's it for this time. If I got anything wrong, email me, luke.thomas at sbnation.com. Get at me on Snapchat, thelukethomas79. Send me a snap. I'll probably send one back. At least I'll try. Try to make time for it. And I really appreciate it, guys. Give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And uh, until next week, enjoy the fights.